You're listening to Lights Out, where we'll talk about all things Formula One. From racecraft and strategy, to politics on and off the grid, and just about everything else in between. This is our call to the girls, gays, and theys who might have never considered themselves sporty, that now is the time to get into sports. Or at least this sport. And to the guys, welcome to the ladies' locker room. We're your hosts. I'm Kate. My name is Kennedy. And with that... What, Kennedy? What, Kate? I sat in the direct sun (laughs) in Austin, Texas for three days. And you know the only place that I have a tan? Your legs. I don't know. (laughs) My feet. Oh, yes. Not, I... Yeah. Tan on my face? No. Tan on my arms? No. No. Tan on my chest? No. No. Birkenstock tan on my feet that will never leave me. Of course. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I uh, I often refer to any <laughs> any time post like vacation like that you happen to catch yourself in the sun. I refer to it as activating my tan. Um, <laughs> but I only activated my tan on the left side of my face, <laughs> and I <laughs> I have freckles. I have a lot of like I'm quite freckly. Um, and now it's like too many freckles. Like my nose is a totally different color than the rest of my body. So (laughs) ladies and gents, as you might've noticed from our social media or the fact that we've told you in every episode for the, like the last five months that we were going to the Austin GP, uh, Mm -hmm. we went to the Austin GP that we did also known as the US GP and you know, just a little, Little fun, little fun, cute warning off the top. Um, this is either going to be one very long episode, or maybe just two episodes, and that's just gonna be up to producer Soph's discretion. And she hasn't told us yet, so it's two. It's it's gonna be two. If it feels like we reference something and then say we're gonna talk about it later, and then we don't talk about it later, it's probably because it's in the other episode. Or it's just something we forgot, which is equally likely. But that's, yeah, that's true. Um, or I also, we weren't funny enough and Sophie edited it out. Yeah. and and <laughs> Which happens to like a lot of my jokes, but you know, I'm not bitter or anything. I'm just here to make you look good. Just taking out the ones that, you know, don't make you look as good. Not, we don't want to dissuade you. So don't, don't touch that dial. Please continue <laughs> listening to the episode because this is a pretty comprehensive story time review mm-hmm. sharing moment of what it's like to attend the GP, how we felt about the GP. You know, there's just a lot, a lot happened. As well as the race itself. So like we will talk about what was it like to go to a GP? What was it like to be in Austin? What actually happened at the US GP this year? So, you know, sort of like regular race recap style content. And then just, you know, some kind of impressions and (laughs) recommendations so that when, not if, but when. You go to the USGP. Uh Uh-huh. Or and GP, I guess. Dear listener. Though our, our, our recommendations will be most relevant to Austin, Texas, but, you know, transferable, hopefully. Austin, Texas. 
Austin, Texas happened to be a very lovely place. Kate, Soph, would you would you happen to disagree with that comment? No, I don't disagree. I think there was many lovely things about Austin. I think that we had some really good food while we were there, particularly we had some oh, decent food at Coda, but I think we had some really good food like downtown. We had you know, obviously it's Austin, Texas. We had some great tacos. We had great tacos. We went to some pretty cool bars. We got to just like absorb and soak up the vibe of just Austin and the and people and the excitement and energy. And especially on the race weekend, people are a little bit more crazy than other times. Um, <laughs> but definitely, definitely a very cool place. It happened to be um, the first time producer Soph have, has ever been in the great, beautiful state of Texas. Um, we also learned pod exclusive, pod exclusive information. Host Kennedy Barba was born in Texas, question mark, and knew the entire <laughs> Texas theme song, which I'm going to be honest, didn't know until this weekend that Texas had its own theme song. The uh, state song. Well, well, state song. Yes, I, I was born there. Technically, I only resided there for the first four months of my life and then moved to Southern California. And then I still think that makes you count. Again. You still count as a Texan. They'd still claim you, I think. I Yeah, I think in a legal sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spiritually, I'm not 100% sure. But legally uh-huh. speaking, sure, sure, they sure. have to claim me. Uh-huh. Um, actually, the hospital I was born in no longer exists. It was burned down. So, Like <sighs> arson or like... <laughs> By accident. Uh, again, only there for the first four months. You know, you think <laughs> you think in that time I'd like I would have picked up a bunch of other things. But no, the real no, no, question, no. Why do you know that the hospital burned down, but you don't know the circumstances of it burning down? I, I think it was like, some. you know, sometimes your parents just like make passing comments. And it was like just a passing comment about mm. my youth there. It's part of your lore. McKin- in McKinney, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> So it was producer Soph's first time in Texas. It was my first time actually visiting Austin, Texas for anything other than a uh, flight connection through their airport. Can I set the scene, though? Yeah, sure. So for burning down the hospital or? (laughs) No. No, Okay. so we so we get to Austin, Texas. But as soon as I get off the the plane i'm sitting there being like i have to go to baggage claim and i turn my little head and i see none other (laughs) than producer herself and kate just waiting for me and then we go down to the escalator to go to baggage claim and oh my god i wait i forgot i know what you're about to talk about i forgot this even happened so many weird things happen you guys so many weird things happened (laughs) over the course of like the four days that we were in austin inclusive of travel that like i'll i i lived a lot of life in austin let me tell you (laughs) yeah i aged 10 years during the journey it's sorry go ahead (laughs) okay so so we get on the escalator and we're like all excited and we're chatting and um just catching up and we're you know as we're walking throughout the airport there's a lot of like formula one related advertising and that kind of thing and it's super exciting but as we get to the bottom of the escalator and there happens to be a red bull car an older model red bull car just like hanging out there to promote you know the formula one gp and uh, to get people excited right the three of us walk over, and mm-hmm. what do we see <laughs> but a man 
with a full like like a construction style tape measure style tape measure like a retractable 25 foot tape measure right okay this this car was behind velvet ropes had clear signage that said do not touch please do not cross the the boundaries you know this is just merely for observing but Uh like the americans we are we don't give a shit and so we decide we decide it's totally fine I'm going to take my tape measure that I brought to the Austin airport <laughs> and I'm just going to take measurements and have my, I, I think it was just like his girlfriend or someone just like write down these measurements. They're just like measuring like random parts of the, like the rear wing and like yeah. the rear, like rear diff, like, like no shade. Maybe, maybe they're like life-size model builders who knows maybe they're very into (laughs) this is yeah actually this was all so they can build a one-tenth perfect scale model (laughs) of the car no it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen i have so many questions and i was so flabbergasted by it that i was just saying aloud to the surroundings of just like what's happening like what does no one else notice I was like, am I in the hospital right now? What's happening? Yeah, I was like, is anybody else seeing this? Like, is anybody else identifying this as absolutely (laughs) insane? And some man who was in front of us did agree with us that it was insane and then asked me to take a photo of him (laughs) in front of the car. In front of the man measuring with the tools. Yeah. A lot of of questions will probably still remain unresolved. But that was just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That was like the the first thing that happened that really kind of set the tone for the kind of things that were about to unfold over the next three days. Yes. Uh, So we, so we left the airport, got our, got our baggage and then headed out to our, uh, lodgings. Shout out to Uncle Michael and Andrea for hosting us in their humble abodes and, you know, just being such lovely, lovely individuals and giving us all the best recommendations for what to do and where to go in in Austin, as well as carting us around. The, the comprehensive driving tour was just super awesome to just be able to see Austin through sort of a local's eyes. And so thank you very much. Yes, we had a lovely we had a lovely time with them. It was obviously a huge lifesaver for us in general, but especially financially to be able to stay with people who would host us in their lovely homes so that we did not have to find a hotel or anything. So, it was amazing just cuz they were very sweet people and it was really great to get all of their impressions about Austin and all of those things, but also from the perspective of, you know, for anybody listening who might be planning or hoping to go to a GP, you know, everybody knows attending a Formula One event and really any professional sporting event, but especially something like F1 that is a multi-day event is really, really expensive. Yeah. Yes. Thank you again, Michael and Andrea. Saving our lives, truly. Gals, who else did we meet at the GP? Uh, we, we definitely had such a cool opportunity to meet some fans of the podcast and listeners in real life. Shout out to Jenna and Vic for not only, you know, being so enthusiastic when we saw them, you know, on track and Coda and beyond, but also taking our QR code stickers and our lights out stickers and sporting them around the whole weekend. It was just really 
awesome. And yeah, we we're so grateful that you, you know, love, love tuning in so much. Yes, it was very sweet. And it was lovely to meet you guys. And it was lovely to meet pretty much. I mean, you know, we talked obviously to a lot of people over the course of our race weekend. There was lots of time, as one might imagine, lots of time spent in lines while at the USGP. So we got opportunities left, right, and center to chit-chat with all of the people who were um, hanging with us in the warm Texas sun. And yeah, as Kennedy Mm, mentioned, blistering. (laughs) we had, yeah, we had our stickers. So we got to chit-chat a lot with a lot of people. And we discovered that our demographic, who we attract based on our online presence is significantly different than the demographic we attract based on our in-person presence. Yes. So I would say online, virtually, we bring in sort of like people like us, you know, just young, mainly women, you know, that that 25 to 34 age range. But in person, in matching shirts, matching QR code tote bags, that we supported at the USGP. I'd say we're we're attracting more so of an an older demographic. Kate, would you agree in that? Also? Yeah, I would say uh, we were an unexpected hit with the predominantly white dad demographic. Yes, yes, a large majority. <laughs> A large majority of the lovely people that we talked to in Austin, Texas, were groups of various sizes of older white men, mostly white men. (laughs) All of the ones who we, you know, spoke to at length, everyone was really lovely. Many were very enthusiastic about the concept that we had a podcast. We did suggest that perhaps um, it would resonate a little bit more with like wives and daughters then, who are of appropriate age because a lot of people were like, oh, well, my eight-year-old. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. it is true. It is true. We need to refine our pitch a little bit because we did talk to people. And in the course of uh, speaking with these mainly men who we ended up talking to, and then we were like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you have a daughter, me, I don't know why making the assumption that they would just all have like teenage daughters or college age daughters. And they were like, my daughter is 10. And I was like, actually also not our demographic. No, no. I was like, it's so sweet of you, but please don't let your 10 year old listen to our podcast. But yeah, it was, you know, it was lovely to meet all of them, get a sense of, you know, people outside of our kind of little community and the people that we talk to about F1 day in, day out, and to hear some, you know, perspectives and impressions of people living really different lifestyles than us from really different, you know, places. We talked to some people, you know, not just people from the US, but people from other countries. So I think that was all great to get an in-person version of that, because of course, in online communities dedicated to F1. Many of them are really diverse, but it's harder to get that sense than when you're in person and you're talking to somebody. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you to everyone who spoke to us while we were out and about. Uchinaboot. It definitely made us feel pretty good. And uh, it, it definitely made us want to continue to 
make content like this. I think this is a really cool way to interact with people and we intend to keep doing it. So in addition to all of the people at CODA while we were at the circuit that we got to speak to, um, we also got a really cool opportunity to meet and get to chat a little bit with the creative agency who worked in collaboration with ESPN and F1 and I believe the NBA um, for an in-person brand activation that happened at the Circuit of the Americas that you probably saw if you follow F1 teams or just the F1 um, page on social media. They posted a lot of photos from this activation of all of the players shooting some hoops at yes. uh, at the circuit. Um, most yeah. of them missing some hoops, but you know, it's <laughs> it's the thought that counts when it comes to basketball. Is what I've been told as somebody who's right equally as talented at basketball is it's more about your intention of whether it goes in and less about whether it goes in. It's really important to keep in mind that uh so formula one drivers are typically much smaller men so uh the thought of them you know shooting some hoops alongside actual professional basketball players just makes me giggle a little bit <laughs> i mean fernando alonso literally looked like he was on the court of his like middle school basketball team like, it was amazing <laughs> Well, Fernando Alonso, I mean, he's done dirty by being, like, teammates with Esteban, who's, like, so tall and lanky that... Six one, yeah. Yeah, like, Fernando is among the shortest drivers, and Esteban is among the tallest, so, like, they already make quite the crew, but then you put them, like, both beside, like, six seven or, like, six eight professional basketball players, and now you're like, wow... The spectrum of humanity is fascinating. <laughs> Do you know, you also see that not only just in the Formula One NBA activation, but you also see that in our podcast uh, <laughs> here, because every single photo that we took as a group, including like other people, I know I'm a short person, <laughs> but nothing slaps you in the face harder when it looks like you're the 18, like the AT&T raising the bar symbol within this group <laughs> like i'm holding down the fort i got you down down here good oh my god um, yeah i i especially because we like walk around together and i i never think of like i legitimately until two days ago thought sophie and i were the same height like i knew kate was taller than me because even when we did our photo shoot at the beginning of the season i had to stand on lots of books to be in the same frame with her but like so i was really holding out for you like i genuinely <laughs> thought that we were in this together and then i get into i look at this photo and my my damn heart broke because <laughs> i'm just like are you serious i look like your little cousin like it's so <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> sophie and i went to the gp and then we also took our little niece <laughs> Your daughter. Jeez. <laughs> this is my daughter. I think Fernando Alonso and I are closer in height than Fernando Alonso and Espan Ocon. Uh, yeah, I think that that's true. I think, yeah. but I'm going to be honest, 100% the only driver. I think you're the same height as Yuki Sonoda. So <laughs> you guys would look great in a photo together. Oh, I would love that. 
Uh, so yeah, so we we were able to cross paths with the organization who put together that brand activation at the GP. Yes, race service. Truly a great group of folks. It was a pleasure hanging. So make sure you guys keep tabs on race service. Their work is just very cool and uh, crisp and inspiring. Kennedy, who else did we meet? But then in addition to that group, we did run into a bit of TikTok royalty or Formula One TikTok royalty. Let me give it that caveat. F1 Tony, she is the author of Beginner's Formula One Guide, a true, long, lifelong, passionate Formula One fan. And she creates videos on TikTok that just answer questions about Formula One and, and is such a great resource um, for people just wanting to get quick little bites of information about the sport. But it was like, to- it was so cool to just talk to her and you know pick her brain a little bit but yeah we had this moment where we were like f1 tony and it was just yeah it was it was just a weird a weird kind of little coincidence but she's super cool she was lovely speaking of lovely people what of one of the little uh uh like crown jewels in our our weekend was we crossed paths with w series member and former social media star of the week from producer self's perspective, Naomi Schiff. It was the weirdest, <laughs> most exciting happenstance. Soph blacked out. She like she she told me she didn't remember anything she said. But essentially, what had happened was we were walking over to Billy Joel the concert, and uh, <laughs> as opposed to Billy Joel the person, we weren't just gonna go hang with our good pal Billy. We and Several hundred thousand other people were going to the show. Yes, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to to make it seem like Billy and I are just old pals, but you know. I mean, we are. Uh, we burned down a hospital together, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. So so we went and we saw a little bit of his show, uh, but in an effort to beat the traffic, we tried to to skip out a little bit early and as we were walking by we were kind of it's it'd been like a super long day it was hot and sticky it was super dark by that point we'd been around loads of people um and we were just we were pretty pretty done and so kate and i are are about to cross a bridge and i look up and i was like naomi and this, I just like said it like very quietly, and she kind of like halt, this woman kind of halted, and then I was like, Naomi Schiff. She goes, Yeah, and I was like, Oh my god, oh my god! And we just fanned out a little bit. And she's she's such a lovely, incredible individual. So died and went to heaven. We asked <laughs> to get a photo with her. Um, she was so sweet and true, you know, for the girls' fashion. Everyone that was with her, they it was so dark outside. One one person held up their phone and gave us a little lighting. Another person took like seventeen different photos for us to get all the right angles. Um, <laughs> and and I would say after such a long day, that was probably like the coolest interaction. Like <laughs> we walked away from it, and and Soph was like. 
I'm numb right now. Like, I literally can't even, like, I'm, like, my brain, like, coursing, adrenaline coursing through our bodies. Like, as we're trying to be, like, that just happened. We just, we just manifested that. Like, what? This is crazy. But, no, it was, it was so cool. And we got a photo with her. And she, you know, liked it on our, our Instagram page. And. Yeah, shout out to Naomi. And she reposted us on her story. She did. She did. And she's so nice. I think that's yes. But she was lovely. Yeah, she was absolutely lovely in person. So she was beautiful. She's she's beautiful. Yeah. Like she has gorgeous skin. Her and Lewis clearly share a skincare routine because it was luminous. Uh, One way or another, one way or another, I'm going to get that routine some one way or another <laughs> this this is what the podcast has been all about i'm just trying to blow up enough <laughs> to get lewis's skincare routine and then it's all over never another episode after that <laughs> once our goal is achieved sorry everyone else this has just all been a front for the routine but yeah meeting meeting naomi was great it was you know we were uh, at a low point in our day for sure. And meeting her and meeting the other uh, W series women that she was with really like really turned that around for us. And it was just, it was really fun. And it was, it was a nice example of why going to something like the USGP was like really worth it and really exciting and fun for us where, you know, even if you're not a person who can afford to like go be in one of the really fancy grandstands or even if you don't have paddock access or even if you don't just get lucky enough to like whatever see a driver in the same uh you know restaurant you're having dinner in or something there's still a lot of like really cool experiences to be had and really cool people from all levels of motorsport from f1 and from w series and formula three all of those people are still like they're all around on a race weekend and yeah they're not only at the track and it's not only you know drivers and like the big marquee names that are worth seeing and worth talking to so I think for me it was cool it was cool because it helped solidify in my mind like motorsport is a huge community of so many people and it can be easy to get caught up in you know the really small number of people who share so much of that spotlight but yeah that you know it's it's equally cool to see people who aren't like on the f1 social page for every 45 minutes it was neat to especially just like like interact with people i mean we talk about the fan component from like a driver perspective and how that like feeds their energy and the um it really mm-hmm. fuels their performance but i mm-hmm. think from like uh just like a spectator perspective to be around like people that there's like a greater sense of community was just so cool mm-hmm. and it was so cool to to talk to people and to hear like what drew them into Formula One and how did they get started with following, you know, do they have a favorite driver? Why is that favorite driver, you know, how are they connected to that person? And it was it was super neat to hear, like, just perspectives and walks of life uh, just from people there. We were just all there because we 
love it. And it was it was super cool. I think especially for us who we've been doing this podcast, I, I mean, virtually. So like we we not only started this in the midst of COVID, but also, you know, we don't record together all the time. So like the energy with us being together versus not together, like it was just really neat to like put like a face to the community of, of mm-hmm. Formula One fans versus just seeing like comments or likes or uh social media interaction so yeah it was well and it i really enjoyed i think we got to see we got to see things that illustrated both things i love about the f1 community and things that i didn't like about the f1 community when it was something that was online that then i had a in-person interaction to be like okay yeah this isn't just something that like kind of bothers me online it's something i really don't like so yeah we as we've said, everybody that we talked to in depth was lovely and, you know, came from all walks of life and experiences with how they got into Formula One and had really different and really interesting opinions on teams they like and drivers they like. But there was one thing that I think was really hard to ignore about being especially at CODA and I think is something that you can kind of see in the broadcast, but for me to experience in person was like, felt kind of insane which was at least at this race it very much like this was a red bull audience primarily a heavily red bull audience a pretty heavily max verstappen audience yes which that in and of itself is okay i mean anybody who's listened to lots of episodes of the pod will be knowledgeable of where we kind of fall in the like max lewis debate but the thing that was weirdest about being in that environment was not just being there when knowing that most of the people were rooting for Max, which like right. is fine. You, people, everyone can have different opinions about drivers. But a lot of the people there seemed like the only team, only driver that they liked was Max. Yeah, that was... I, I think it was it was like present in terms of when you were walking around the entire Circuit of the Americas like grounds but especially when we were sitting in our grand not grand in our turn 19 seating shout out to turn 19 you know t19 t19 so on the podcast we like driver of so many different drivers on the grid we like identify with them i think especially because we're passionate about this like we know little bits about their personality and that kind of thing that factors into our appreciation for them but where we were sitting, it was very obvious that there were Max Verstappen fans. And then to those Max Verstappen fans, it was very obvious that we were rooting for Lewis in terms of the wanting to win the GP and the title fight. There was a man who literally told us, he's like, yeah, all right, ladies, you know, when when car number 33 comes around this corner, we all cheer for that. Like, it was it was weird because you're so used to watching Formula One from the comfort of your home and not interacting with like other people um, <laughs> that it just it, it, or like yelling at the TV and like talking smack or yeah. whatever in the, the yeah. safety and the privacy of your own home um, that it was just it was just such a different vibe. And it just seemed yeah. like we were cheering for so many different drivers on the the grid uh, every time they came by and it was like everyone else was 
pretty much silent around us. I do know that it's like very American to be rooting for the underdog. And I think a lot of people like <laughs> identify Red Bull yeah. as well as Max as the underdog when it comes to to this season. I get <laughs> You're uh, so just, he's just not the fucking underdog. He's like he's led by far the majority of laps like he's led the championship for most of the season like right i just i don't know i think uh, yeah mm. i mean there's no point relitigating it or anything but yeah it was a very weird environment to be in to be in both also like, here's the thing all of texas was like covid we've never heard of her so just all of this with the knowledge of like we were in extreme physical proximity with a very large number of people over the course of this event obviously it's all outdoors but even so like that's a thing that just like was weird and will continue to be weird and we're not going to talk so much about it because like that was just the reality of the event but number one it was weird to be physically around that many people in general but as an additional layer It was weird to be around that many people with that level of, I don't know if aggression is the word I'm really going for quite, Hmm. but like my closest comparison was, as we said on the pod, um, we went to the US Open finals, the men's, the men's singles (laughs) finals. And this was the weirdest like version of, I think I probably would have felt the same way if I had had any idea who those two pl- tennis playing men were when we sure. were at the U S open, because we sure. were in a similar environment where like the crowd was very skewed. It was very clear who the crowd wanted to win versus like, we decided to root for the other person just cause nobody was rooting for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, it was a little similar in terms of like the crowd had so much like energy and like was so, it was very emotional. Yeah, so emotional about this this tennis player. And it was sort of like, it kind of felt similar to me about Max, except that this time, like, I knew what the sport was. And so I could actually tell how things were going for him. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was super weird. And it definitely didn't endear me anymore to Red Bull, I will say. You know, it didn't it didn't make me want to be a Red Bull fan personally yeah um no i i I, okay so i i I mean because there are so many like different pieces of my brain that are thinking right now so like as a brand red bull's team does a fantastic job of you know like really leaning into their energy they're an energy drink company they're a very young energetic exciting kind of brand they're daring and they're about taking risks and and they really lean into their brand and it works amazing for them uh and especially with max being on top this season it is working wonders in their favor so i i think yeah, the, from that perspective, awesome. I also just think that there are just little nuances to Red Bull that I'm not into. I don't like the attitude that, I mean, the commentators when we were there, they're like, you know, the toughest uh, position to be in in on this grid is that Red Bull second seat. And, you know, personally, I feel like 
that's that's a prison of Red Bull's own making, you know, to put so much pressure on that that driver. Yeah. There's no reason that that has to be the worst seat in F1. Like, right. Red Bull could fix their culture to to make that better if they wanted to, but they don't seem to be compelled to do so. Right. So, and, like, and I they don't seem compelled to do so, and I think they really like the buzz that it creates and that's fine but that doesn't make me want to be part of a fan base that feeds into that kind of culture and i i totally understand that i am you know there's healthy competition 100 percent, but i just i i just think it kind of toes like a weird line for me and and you know i am you know just a more uh emotional fan of things and so I do get invested and but I just kind of don't like that idea of like I'm like too I'm this this weekend I think seeing seeing an in-person example of the Red Bull fan base solidified for me that among other things I am simply too sensitive to be a Red Bull fan yeah it's yeah just, I the mean vibes are off for me I just can't engage with it yeah, I would I would say the for me Red Bull's redeeming factor are a, a, a couple of things. One, I really love Checo Perez. I think he's an incredibly talented driver. Um, his story is amazing. If you have no reference point, you know, at the end of last season, he literally lost his seat, lost his seat from Racing Point because Sebastian Vettel decided to move over to that team that has now become Aston Martin. And so Checo was a, full, a free agent and he was he literally won his first Formula One Grand Prix as an unsigned driver. And just like, there's just so, he like there's just a lot of passion associated with that. And I mean, his fan base, we saw them in droves when we were at Coda and they're so passionate about him and you just can't help but fall in love with that, right? You know, I I really think signing, keeping Checo in Formula One was probably one of the coolest decisions that Red Bull made. Similarly speaking, them release, you know, allowing Alex Albon to come back to the sport of racing through by way of a, a partnership with him and getting that William seat. Awesome. But I just, yeah, there's just like other bits to Red Bull that I just... I again, I'm not in the garage. I'm not in the strategy meeting. So this is just my completely objective third parter party perspective. It's just not my it's not my cup of tea. I will say we had a great time at we had a great time at the GP, but it there's a pretty steep learning curve to attending a Formula One race that I think we experienced where our first day, which we went obviously every day of the race weekend. So we went Friday for the free practices, Saturday for quali, Sunday for the race. And we also attended most of the events, most of the racing events that were non-Formula One. So the W series practices and races. The only we missed uh, a fair bit of Formula Four just because I'm going to be honest, you guys, the Formula 4 events were usually in the morning, like the very first thing. And um, Coda is not close to anything yeah, at no. all. 
And even, like, getting up pretty early and, like, trying to be efficient getting out of the house, we still, by the time we, like, got all the way to the track, did the 20-minute walk from the where the shuttle drops you off to where you actually get, like, get into the circuit, got to turn 19. By the time we got there, usually there was, like, 11 minutes of whatever Formula 4 thing had started the day off left. Right. So we missed most of those, but we did see a lot of the rest of it. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, there's a lot of things that we learned. uh, And then there are definitely things that happen or that were part of CODA, at least, that were outside of our control that didn't didn't endear us to the event entirely. But in terms of some of the things that were inside of our control that we learned and figured out. Number one, if you're attending uh, a race at a circuit like Coda that is far away from everything and basically in the middle of a godforsaken field in the middle of Texas, get the shuttle, pay for the shuttle, because I we the on the Friday waited two hours in a field for an Uber and it never came, and so then we paid hundred and twenty dollars for a shuttle that we could have taken in the morning. So instead, we paid like $55 to get to the circuit in an Uber and then $120 more to take a shuttle home. And that was a pretty large bummer for us. <laughs> it was $120 for three tickets, but the $120 price point was for a round trip and we only went one way. So yes, uh little little salty about that that one was a little tough so that was tough so that happened because the cheap shuttle which is what we took on the saturday and sunday only ran on the saturday and sunday and on the friday we mistakenly were like it's a friday free practice like how many people are going to be going to free practice nobody really goes that might have been true in years past right uh that was not true at this event, this time. So there was a lot of people there. So yeah, learning number one, shuttles are your friend. Yeah. Um, learning number two, at least for us, based on because it took so long to get to the circuit, get in the circuit, etc. Strategy around when you go to get food is essential. Key. key. Very key. First day we... Unfortunately, there was a short gap between events that, like, the majority of people were trying to go see. So, like, F1 events, basically. Which meant the lines for food were really, really long because everybody was trying to grab their food before they could go watch the F1 events. So that was unfortunate and led to us not eating enough and eating later than we wanted to. In the blistering sun. Which wasn't great. And was coupled with our uh, another mistake we made that day. As we said, Friday was a big learning day. Another mistake we made that day, which was the drinks tent was closer to turn 19 than the food was. So yeah. we started off strong with the drinking, went and saw some, some driving, <laughs> then went to go get the food after having already sat in the sun, drinking, dehydrating, and uh, not having eaten enough before we left the house that morning. So it made the wait for the food that much worse. So also would recommend if you are a person who's going to attend a race and if you are a person who enjoys drinking, and in this case I mean drinking alcohol, not just like 
imbibing liquids in general. <laughs> if you are a person who likes drinking alcohol, I would recommend food, then start drinking. And you might be saying to yourself, Kate, duh, that's what everybody, that's, you shouldn't have to tell people. No, no, no. You know what? You're going to get to the circuit like we did. It does not matter when you arrive. People are drinking. Yeah. We got there at 10 a.m. People were drinking. So don't, it's, it's just part of the experience of attending an event like that, that many people will be drinking the whole time. And it's easy to see everyone carrying their drinks and be like, you know what? It's already 86 degrees in this godforsaken field. I do want to drink because I am hot. Another thing that I should have said earlier, the first day we didn't have coffee prior to the event. Oh, Catastrophic error. Really bad choice. So just really, you got to structure your day uh, in a really intentional way where you've just got to like wake up in the morning. You got to hit, you got to hit the ground running with your caffeine and your food You got to take your shuttle journey and then you immediately have to eat again. And I know it sounds like that's going to be too soon to eat again. It's not. It's not. It's not too soon to eat again. You got to eat again. And then you go to the drinks tent. And this is key. When you get your alcoholic drink, do you buy one bottle of water? No. No. You buy as many bottles of water as they will sell you because the next major problem that we had a limited ability to get around at this event. There are two water bottle refilling stations for the entirety of the Circuit of the Americas. For 400,000 people. 400,000 people. And by the way, they are not indicated on any map. You cannot search for them in the app, which is supposed to tell you where to find things. And most of the people there who are volunteers working there don't know where they are. So as a result, I have maybe never in my life bought so many plastic water bottles as I did over the course of the Coda weekend. Also, side note, if F1 is serious about being sustainable, something for them to consider because there was a lot of single-use plastic waste at this event and there was no way around it as a participant who's going to be there all day because you can't bring, you can't, there's really realistically no way to refill a water bottle there. You can't bring any food of any kind into the event. You can bring one sealed plastic water bottle at the beginning of the day, but when it's 90 degrees in Texas, that's only going to get you so far. So yeah, you're going to spend a lot of money on water, which we did. However, there was an even worse version or an even worse problem with the water at this event yeah so uh, uh, uh yeah because of the copious amounts of water that people purchased every day at the event and how god-awful hot it was every single day at the event the drinks tents ran out of water and ice consistently um when you're selling a lot of alcohol in 90 degree direct sunlight heat to 400,000 people, that's a problem to not have, like, water. Yeah, it becomes a safety issue at a certain point. And there's a reason that music festivals, while notorious for selling expensive bottles of water, 
also provide water tents because a music festival is a similar atmosphere in terms of there's people there, they're in the direct sun all day, they're probably not eating enough, they're probably standing and walking more than they're used to, and they're very likely drinking. Or at a music festival, there's also the drugs thing, which is not as much of an expectation at something like this event. But either way, you cannot continuously serve beer, wine, and hard liquor all day long and not have adequate water available at your event. At the end of the day, it's a safety issue, as well as the fact that like the customer experience of that is terrible. Like The days that they ran out of water and we ran out of water at the same time where we hadn't purchased enough earlier in the day to get us through the inevitable drought that it, there turned out to be at that yes. point in the day was really bad. I mean, like yeah. we were really unhappy. We were really overheated. We were dehydrated. It's just not a good time. So that was definitely disappointing to see. And it was a little bit of a ongoing theme where they oversold the USGP this year. So they sold 100,000 more tickets than they typically would. Those tickets, granted, those you can only oversell for GA. Obviously, you only have a limited right. number of assigned seats and bleacher seats. Those like It's not that those were extra full. They oversold GA, which meant there's more people on the grounds than the venue is really like designed for. Right, right. And the biggest problem with that was it felt like they oversold and then they didn't have an accurate understanding of when those people would be coming, how many of them would be coming at once. Right. Um, it was the definitely the most notable to me on the Friday where I think the expectation, kind of like we had, frankly, was, oh, it's Friday. Not that many people come on Fridays. It'll be fine. But it was not fine. <laughs> it was not fine. In addition to, uh, so staffing for the entire event, like food tents and drinks tents and other things. Can I tell this story? Yes. So, Kennedy... <laughs> Okay, to illustrate how well-staffed these uh, poor kiosks were, Kennedy, at one point in the latter half of Friday, and I were going to do a water run, and there was one particular bar slash kiosk where there were three people working this place and probably about 40 people in line at any given time, and these people, this poor woman was yelling over and over and over again, order in this line and then you have to get in another line to pay and just like that's so much work for that poor woman to be doing and kennedy and you know everybody was frustrated it was very annoying it was very silly and kennedy took it upon herself this was probably after two double drinks i would say um but we we, said we were we said we were enjoying the weekend okay it's just we were we we were enjoying ourselves so kennedy took it upon herself to take charge of the situation as wonderful Kennedy does um, and make it better for everybody around her and she said to the guy at the front who was running the order part of the kiosk who was swiping the cards give me like can I'll make you a sign you need to make some signs and he was like we don't have a sharpie and Kennedy was like that's the silliest thing I've ever heard (laughs) and and promptly ran over to the ice cream booth which was always like less full and yelled at this woman 
I'm sorry, politely ask this woman in some dulcet tones, can I please borrow your Sharpie? And this woman looked so confused. And so she just handed over the the giant fat-ass Sharpie, and Kennedy ran back over to the other place and took two cardboard boxes and wrote fervently, order in big letters, and then pay in big letters on the other one, and handed it to this man, and this man was like, you are amazing. Please come find me later. I got you drinks. I got you. What do you guys need? Blah, blah, blah. And we were like, <laughs> we need to get out of here faster than we just did. Yeah. Uh, but, and um, I don't so, think they so actually used the signs, but, they you know, didn't. it was it's the thought the that thoughts. counts. Yeah, it was yeah. wonderful. It was a good little. never got free drinks from him. I just we totally to forgot. Out. We forgot to go get free drinks from that sweet man. It was the sun. We were too, we were too, our we minds were, were yeah. melted. That was either the end of Friday or the end of Saturday. These women were clearly like on the receiving end of so many complaints all day long. And what they what they could do was just tell people the process that they established and hope for the best. And when you've been yelled at for 12 hours, I kind of was just like, freak it, dude. Like, I'll go make you a sign. Like, that's not that's not okay. And so I just generally speaking, that's just like a one little snapshot of an instance like this. Another instance is, hey, it's getting dark outside, but tents are still selling merchandise and items, but there's no lighting anywhere. And people are selling like Formula One collateral and shirts and things by using their own cell phone cameras to perform the transactions. Like, that's just yeah. not okay. Was, like, there's just something, something hits different about watching somebody who's surely getting paid minimum wage in Texas to sell a $280 hoodie sweatshirt by the light of their own personal cell phone. It's just not a great look. It just looks, it makes it look like the event is really poorly planned. And, like, obviously, yeah, we're missing information of maybe maybe it was the choice of those employees that, you know, they could get overtime or something for staying past when those tents would when have normally closed or yeah. whatever. Like, you know, maybe maybe it was a situation like that. But without any information, we're left to assume, like, the worst. And it looks <laughs> like a terrible thing to do to your employees. In addition to just, like, you know, lighting... Difficulty with lighting was an ongoing theme with the event a little bit. As we mentioned, talking about meeting Naomi, we were on our way back from Billy Joel, the concert, not the man. (laughs) I mean, he was also there. Yeah. The man was there. Yeah. It was Billy Joel doing the Billy Joel concert, in case you're wondering. Though, how funny would it have been if it was someone... (laughs) Like a like an Elvis impersonator type situation. It would have been amazing. It would have been just really funny as a joke if they even just sent on an impersonator first and then yeah. real Billy Joel came out. Anyways, you guys, Coda, you can use that next year if you have Billy Joel back. <laughs> um, but the stage where that performance takes place is very, very far from pretty much most of the circuit, but especially was particularly far from the part of the circuit where our seats were very far from turn 19, which in and of itself, like, okay, it's fine. Obviously a huge stage of that type is going to have to be fairly far away from a lot of the circuit. That being said, the path to get there was bonkers crazy. There's like no lights whatsoever. You just like tromp through some Texas fields. There's like 
as no well as you're signage. just following people like blindly. There was really no um like employees like directing where people should be going. It was just like these right. poor people trying to sell things by the light of their cell phone and tents. Like I want to give Coda the benefit of the doubt. Uh COVID really changed a lot of things and I think it, it changed a lot of people's like comfort levels and that kind of thing and as well as like throughout COVID Netflix really opened the door for Formula One to enter a lot more people's lives and in the states like this this event was very similar to how like pre-COVID Formula One events kind of crowd size wise we're going. And and so this was a huge deal and I could see how they would be just underprepared for the amount of people that were going to be coming and underprepared because they just genuinely don't know what how to operate and how things work and it's just a weird weird time and I'd love to think that that all these kind of like issues within the infrastructure of the event itself are just due to, you know, we had to pull it together and we did the best with what we had. But I just kind of, yeah, it just feels like there were just some corners that were cut. And I just, I, I would like to think we aren't the only people who noticed. You know, again, this is just these are things that were in our control and we're just discussing things that were out of our control. I think overall our our top priority as a podcast and in general as women sometimes is just to to be concerned with our safety and the safety of others and we want to make sure that you know if, if there's an experience that can be improved upon that we look for ways to make it better for ourselves or suggest ways that it could be better for everyone else and and that's truly why I think we're voicing our feelings here about some of the logistical experiences uh, there at CODA and and with the Formula One event overall. Definitely think that it was overwhelming to have 400,000 people around you. And I think especially the event organizers after COVID and throughout COVID, still in a pandemic, probably didn't really know what Formula One in America or in real life back full force was going to be and what it would look like. So hopefully we can all learn and improve upon for our next experiences with going to in-person Formula One events because it's not going away. If anything, it's getting bigger and we just hope it can be better. So, so I just think we need two episodes. You know, we've recorded this bit. I just think that there's just so much more, you know, what there's so much more that can't be encompassed in a single episode of the podcast. Let's do two. Yeah, because at some point, you know, we got to talk about the actual race. (laughs) The actual people are going to be like, "Uh, I'm sorry, I came here for the recap. What's what's going on? Like, who, who what are the standings? Who was got their elbows out against whom? Like, let's let's talk about it. So. I don't know. Let's let's uh put pause on this one and dive into P two or part two. <laughs> so uh, if you could if you could kindly flip over your record or uh, insert side B of the tape, we'd, uh, yeah, we'd appreciate that. Put on the other side of the the cassette tape, as as I know everyone listens to this uh, podcast on cassette. <laughs> it's uh it's really it's like uh, to get the real experience. Only real podcast listeners listen to their 
true art on on cassettes through through my little Casio headphones. <laughs> You've been listening to Lights Out.